In this episode, Pastor John Mark Caton continues a series entitled, A Man's Handbook. Pastor John Mark teaches from Exodus 17, 8 through 16, about how we all have three common enemies, our flesh, the world, and Satan. John Mark goes on to explain three main points on how to fight our enemies. Now let's hear from John Mark. All right, thanks Sloan. I've, uh, we've already heard from some of the guys with uh, us, some of us being out on, on spring break that uh, Sloan has been requested to do this permanently uh, because last week he was only here. He set up Zoom. He led the beginning, led the end, taught the lesson, and y'all were out by 645. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I hear that I hear that you're now the right-end candidate to lead this whole thing, and uh, you don't need the rest of us, is what the guys are saying. But uh, anyway, guys, hey, uh, good to be back. Um, uh, enjoyed a little spring break activity last week, but uh, as we continue in our series, a man's handbook. Uh, as we think about journeying through life, thought I'd come today and kind of give you uh, some lessons from the battlefield. We all want to learn some lessons from the battlefield. We're all in a battle. How many of you know that? Uh, we're in a battle day by day. Uh, and we can learn uh, some lessons from battles that we've had in the past. Uh, we can also learn from lessons uh, from people we know who have been through a battle. And so today I want to talk to us about some lessons we learned from the battlefield that, that happened to the children of Israel uh, early on in their life after leaving captivity uh, in Egypt, as well as their journeying to the promised land. And it does not take long uh, for them to encounter a battle. And I referenced it, if you were here Sunday, I referenced it toward the end, end of the message. And it's a battle with the Amalekites. And here's what we know. We all have enemies. And if you look through God's Word in all seasons, the Amalekites uh, never became friends of the children of Israel. It was always a battle. Uh, anytime you heard about the land, uh, they would say it's the, battle, it's the land of the Amalekites the enemies of Israel. Uh, or you would hear the Amalekites came in and plundered the children of Israel uh, when it was time for the crops to be harvested. These folks, the Amalekites, hated uh, the children of Israel. Really, they're the descendants of Esau, if you wanted to know. But we all have enemies. We have enemies uh, that we struggle with over and over. There are some enemies that will ne never, ever, ever become our friend. As a as a man, let me just give you a couple of those before we jump into Exodus chapter 17. Uh, one enemy you and I will always face is our own flesh. How many of us understand that? That will be something that we will have to battle over and over and over again. As long as there is red blood flowing through our veins, uh, our flesh will be an enemy that we have to battle, that we have to struggle with. Notice what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. He says, now the works of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh or the actions, if you want to underline that word, think of it that way. The actions of the flesh, the actions of the flesh, he says, they are adultery, fornication, they're uncleanness, they're lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, uh, jealousies, uh, outburst of wrath, uh, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. In other words, uh, Paul says, you know, the actions of our flesh, they're pretty evident. They're always around. But then he also says, this is a long list, but it's not an exhaustive list. 
you might look at that list and say, uh, well, you know, I've got all those control under control. Drunkenness is not a problem for me. I'm really not a mad or an angry person. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time uh, in idolatry. Can I just tell you, Paul says, but there are others that you and I do face in our own flesh, in our own life. Then as you continue to read on, he says, and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we need to understand when we think about the battle we're going to look at today and some lessons we can learn, uh, can I tell you, if you are battling right now some fleshly desires, some struggles in your own life, the lessons we're going to see today from the battlefield that the children of Israel, Joshua and Moses and others, implemented, those lessons are ones that can be implemented to help you also battle the flesh. Uh, here's the second thing I will tell you. We also have a spiritual foe. How many of you know that? Uh, that guy's name is Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. We will always, just like we will always battle our flesh, we will always battle Satan. Satan is always looking for you. He is always looking to attack you. Uh, I love what Peter said in identifying Satan. Here's what Satan is like. He says, be self-controlled and alert. A lot of times uh, when the Bible writers, biblical writers, Old Testament and New Testament, when they tell us as followers of God, as men who really want to be who God wants us to be, they will tell us over and over, if we are going to be who God wants us to be, then we want to make sure that we are alert. Because Satan is always lurking around. The flesh is always there. So here's what Peter says. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So your enemy, the flesh, is always around. It's always there. He's always lurking just under the surface. But beyond that, I will tell you, Satan is always looking to take you out. Satan is always looking to find a weakness. Satan is always looking for an openness, open, opening. He's always looking for a way that he can lead you astray or tempt you to head down a road uh, that you know you shouldn't go down. And it doesn't matter how young or how old you are. The ways he tempts you might change. But the fact as to whether he's looking to take you out, that will never change. Satan is always looking to take a man of God out. And so we've got to be aware that my flesh is always there and Satan is always there. But I think there's a third thing. There's also just the world. Man, if we look in God's Word, it says that Satan and all of his minions and all of his demons, they pretty much rule this world. They're in charge of what's going on. We don't have to look around long to see that it seems like sometimes the world is stacked against the mindset of God. The world is stacked against uh, the man of God who wants to walk in integrity and honor. The man of God who wants to love his family and love his children and build up his community and ultimately walk in his faith. And that's why Paul in Romans chapter 12, he's talking to those Roman believers who are surrounded uh, by a culture that is set against the mindset of God, Paul says, as a man of God, here's how we need to live. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Now, a lot of times we focus on the next few words, and we should. But notice what he's already said. Do not conform any longer. 
to the pattern of this world. The assumption Paul is making that for the man of God is this. It is easier for us to conform to the pattern of this world than it is for us to conform to the mindset of God. It is easier and more natural for us to conform to the pattern and thought processes and the action of this world than it is for us to conform to the mindset of God. But not only does he say it's easier, he says we've probably already developed a pattern of conforming to the mindset and the actions of the world. That's why Paul says, do not do it any longer. See, I love what Paul does. He puts us all in the same boat. He, he didn't say that some of us were born into Christian homes, we grew up in Christian families, we went to church, and we were never conformed to the pattern of this world. Paul didn't say that. He says, for every man, everyone in this room, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're single or whether you're married, whether you grew up in a church, that, in a family that never went to church, or if you grew up in a church where they drug you to church every time the lights were on, Paul says you still probably conform to the pattern of this world. And so what's his statement? He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will in His good and pleasing and perfect will. So as we think about lessons from the battlefield, part of our, our man's handbook, our man's guide to living well for God, we need to always understand when we leave here in a few minutes, when we leave here in a few minutes, that we will have three enemies that are waiting for us. One is my flesh, that I could be led astray in a heartbeat. The second one, Satan. He is going to look for me to leave an opening for him to attack us and devour us. And if I can get by without my flesh taking me out today, if I can get by without Satan, we also have to understand there are patterns of this world that if you and I aren't careful, we can pretty quickly be drawn down and drawn away and drawn in such a way that we would make a wrong turn and head the wrong direction. And so as we think about those three foes, we're going to be talking about one foe today, one enemy of the children of Israel, and they're called the Amalekites. And if you go back over 3,000 years ago, uh, picture this mindset. You've got the children of Israel for several centuries have been in slavery in Egypt. But if you go back early in Genesis, God has always promised that He's going to take them to a land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that was promised to them, a place that God wanted them to reside and them to flourish. And in the midst of that journey, they end up as slaves for a season, several centuries, in Egypt. That was not the promised land. And maybe there are some of you here today that you think back over uh, some of your addictions or habits or some of the things that you struggled with uh, maybe a year ago, two years ago, maybe a couple of decades ago. And you found yourself as a child of God, knowing full well that you were bound in slavery to some kind of sin that kept you from being in the promised land where God wants you to be. That you need to understand that was part of their journey. It may well be part of your journey. And the good news of God's kingdom and God's grace is that when we move out of a place of slavery and toward and into the promised land, that's not something we have to hide from, guys. 
Part of our testimony, how many of us understand that? Part of our testimonies need to be, there was a time that I was bound. There was a time that Satan had control over my life, or my flesh had control over my life, or this world had control over my life. But now I'm making my way to the promised land. So guys, don't ever feel like you have to, ha you have to hide from a past that was bound in slavery sometimes. Because as you look in God's Word, notice what God's Word didn't say. It didn't say God showed up to Abraham, promised to multiply him, and take him to a land filled with milk and honey, and then there's nothing but roses and sweet kisses, and the next chapter, they're in the promised land. That's not what happens. See, that's the beauty of God's Word. It tells us about the children of Israel's ups and downs, the things they went through, the things they celebrated, the, thing, the times they were defeated. And so we're coming out of a season as we think about their testimony. Their testimony a lot of times is our testimony. And so guys, if you look back over a decade ago or two decades ago and, and you were struggling maybe with an addiction of flesh or Satan just tore you up or the world had you sucked into the pattern of this world, don't hide from that. That's part of your testimony. That's part of the way we connect with other people who are going through those same things. Can I encourage you with that? Don't ever hide from it. Man, someone begins to share something with you and uh, they begin to tell you, man, I'm just struggling with this. And, you know, the man of God needs to say, man, I used to be right there where you are. I used to be right there where you are. And with God's grace and God's power and God's spirit, I was, I was able to break those chains and move from that space to this space. And then you look at that dude and you're saying, God can do the same thing for you. God can absolutely do the same thing for you. And so here we are, we drop in to the story. The children of Israel, Moses has gone in, he's delivered the ten plagues. The Egyptians have, uh, uh, have released, Pharaoh has released the, the army. They have gone through the Red Sea, all right? Uh, the Israelites have been swallowed up. That doesn't mean their problems are gone. And we drop into Exodus chapter 17. You might want to just note this. Uh, there are a couple of firsts right in here. Uh, we're going to read here in a few seconds, beginning in verse 8. This is the first time that Joshua is mentioned in all of God's Word. How many of you know who Joshua is? Becomes kind of Moses' right-hand man up until this moment. We've never heard of the guy named Joshua. Second thing is uh, this is the first time when we think about this that the Amalekites attack the Israelites. This is the first time. Read the Old Testament. It is not the last time. They attack them over and over and over again. And then the other first here is this is the first time that these slaves have to realize now that I'm free, I still need to be a warrior. I'm going to say that again. This is the first time that the Israelites realize that, man, though I am now free, I still need to learn to fight because they are attacked by the Amalekites. And so as we pick it up, let me give you a couple of lessons from the battlefield that we can all uh, hopefully take and fight. Here's thought number one for us. When we think about those three foes, my flesh, Satan, as well as the world, here's thought number one, lesson number one from the battlefield that you and I will have faced, and it's this. There is a certainty to the fight. 
that lies ahead. There is a certainty to the fight that lies ahead. That's exactly what we see with the children of Israel. We see it right at the beginning of verse 8, Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. It says, the Amalites came and attacked. Guys, you can be certain that just as the Amalekites attacked the children of Israel in this setting, and if you look through Judges and 1st and 2nd Samuel and wherever you want to look through 1st and 2nd Kings, every time the Amalekites got the opportunity... They attack the children of Israel. So guys, there is a certainty to the battle. When you leave here today, probably before uh, the sun gets all the way up, depending on when I stop talking, or before lunch happens, or before you put your head on your pillow at night, either your flesh is going to attack, Satan is going to attack, or the world is going to attack you, somehow, some way, you will be in a fight. The only thing we can do is be sure that we have put on the armor of God and that we were prayed up and ready to go when the battle is at hand. Here's the second thought I see, and we're just going to continue to read through this, is that your enemy has a strategy. Your enemy has a strategy. I want you to know that Satan doesn't come at you willy-nilly. Satan doesn't come at you haphazardly. Satan absolutely knows your weaknesses. When I talk about your testimony that we shared a few minutes ago, uh, that sometimes we want to ignore our testimony from uh, seasons past when we were bound in slavery to some sin or some addiction or something like that. Can I tell you, Satan knows where you're weakest. It's kind of interesting as we're watching uh, right now and you have all these military strategists will say, all right, here's where the Ukrainians are weakest or here's where uh, the Russians are weakest or here's what we're learning about the battle. Aren't we seeing that day by day if you're reading it? Man, do they have enough supplies? Do they not have enough supplies? I want you to know, your enemy has a strategy. Look at it in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. They waited for them to get to that space and that time. I think it's kind of interesting. We won't go there, but just let me read for you, uh, Justin, if you want to pull it up, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, we actually have a little more information about this attack. Here's what it says, Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18. It says, remember, this is reflecting back. He says, remember when the Amalekites did to you what they did to you along the way when you came to Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on the journey and cut off all who were lagging behind when they had no fear of God. It's kind of interesting. Uh, In Exodus, we're just kind of told in the journey the Amalekites attacked. But over, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 and 18, they didn't just attack haphazardly. They did it with a plan. And what was their plan? Notice what he says. He says they're going to come unexpectedly. He says, when you were weary and worn out, they came to you at a weak moment. What are they doing? What is Satan doing? He's looking for a time where he can attack you and you don't see it coming. When you're weary and worn out, 
when you're struggling, maybe when your marriage relationship isn't as fulfilling as you thought it would be, or your mindset isn't as strong as you want it to be. You haven't filled your mind or your heart uh, with uh, the Word of God. You haven't taken time to put on the full armor of God. You haven't spent time with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, the Amalekites didn't just show up haphazardly. They attacked with a purpose. They said, they are weary and worn out. So now I'm going to show up. I think it's also kind of interesting. Um, it says they attacked indirectly. Notice as you jump back up, they met you on the way on your journey and they cut off all who were lagging behind. Did you notice that? What's the first thing they wanted to do? They wanted to split the crew, right? They didn't go immediately after the most difficult ones. They caught those who were most weary lagging behind the most. This does remind me of Satan's attack, right? Satan is looking around someone he can devour, right? The Amalekites looked at the children of Israel, and as they were walking along, making their journey, they began to see probably strong and fast, young. Then they saw towards the back, weaker, slower, struggling just to keep up. So not only did they attack un, uh, indirectly or unexpectedly, they, they, they attacked in such a way that they wanted to go after the weak ones first. They wanted to go after the weak ones first. And then they came in, they attacked viciously. It says, all who were lagging behind, why? Because they had no fear for God. So when we think about this attack, the Amalekites we see back to Exodus chapter 17, they didn't come in haphazardly. They had a plan. They came after God's people. They wanted to split them into two, and they wanted to take out the weak ones first. And so think of it in your own life, that when Satan comes after you, he is looking, he's looking for someone who is lagging behind. He's looking for someone who has their guard down. He's looking for someone, as it said right there, who is weak, weary, and worn out. Now, when I say weak, weary, and worn out, that doesn't mean you're a bad dude, all right? Can I just say that again? That doesn't mean you're a bad dude. It doesn't mean you're more sinful than anyone else. It just means that Satan has discerned that there is a moment in time that he can come after you, that he has his most chance of success. And guess what? That is exactly when Satan's going to come after you guys. When he senses you're most weak, you're most weary, perhaps you're most separated from the strongest in your group. That's exactly what they did. They looked at the children of Israel and they said, strong, 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 weak, let's attack here. And so guys, I want to encourage you to always walk with and live with some self-awareness Am I in a space where I am strong and connected to other men who are strong and connected? And also be willing to sense, man, I am pretty weak and weary in my faith. This old habit, this old addiction, this old struggle, this old sin seems to be occupying my mind more and more day by day. What's your response? Guys, it can't be to lag further and further behind. 
It has to be that my response when I'm lagging behind, when I'm struggling, when I'm weak and weary and worn out, my response can't be to get more distant. But instead, it's to close the distance. I'm going to say that again, guys. When I am weak and weary and I'm struggling, my response can't be to lag further and further behind. My call as a child of God, as a man of God, is to close the distance, right? To get closer and closer to other men, to the church, to people who can fight for me and with me. And in that point, man, we won't be as prone to be cut off. We'll still get attacked. We'll still get attacked. But we'll have others around us who can fight for us. So, man, don't forget, thought number one is there is a certainty of the battle. Thought number two is don't ever doubt that Satan has a strategy to take you out. Just like the Amalekites had a strategy to attack the children of Israel, they wanted to go after the ones that were weak and lagging behind first. Here's thought number three. You ready? Not only does the enemy have a strategy, but you and I better have a strategy. You and I have a strategy. And we see this picking up in Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. Guys, do you have a strategy? Do you have a strategy right now to defeat Satan when he attacks you? Let me ask you a question. How many of you know uh, of at least one area in your life where you're tempted to sin? One area. That's all of us, 100% of us, right? How many of you wish it was only one area, (laughs) right? I wish you could narrow it down. What's your strategy? What's your strategy? If, if it's alcohol, if it's some sort of drug, if it's pornography, if it's depression, if it's suicidal thoughts, if it's loneliness, uh, drifting apart in your marriage, anger, bitterness, what is your struggle? Whatever your struggle is, I will promise you this, Satan has a strategy to take you out in that space, and our only response is to develop a strategy to defend against his attack when he shows up. So let's look at the children of Israel's strategy. Here's a strategy. Moses had said to Joshua, so the Amalekites have already attacked. They've cut off the laggers, the weak, the weary, and the worn off. They've developed that as the first step. Moses said to Joshua, here's the strategy, Choose some men of our men and go fight the Amalekites. And he says, tomorrow, Moses said, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So uh, Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on top of the hill. Notice what it says. As long as Moses was able to hold his hands up, up on the top of the hill, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites began to win. When Moses' had hands grew tired, they took a stone, Aaron and Hur, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. And it says, so that his hands remained steady. I love that. Kind of supported him, trust him up. Uh, Till sunset. Look at verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites, Amalekite army with the sword. Here's a couple of thoughts on the strategy. Number one, 
You need the right dudes around you when you're attacked. You need the right dudes around you when you're attacked. What did we see back in verse 9? What did Moses say? Moses said, go choose some men to fight with you, alongside you, for you, around you, in front of you, in back of you, to your left and to your right. Choose some men who will go to the battle who are ready to fight. So guys, thought number one, since we know there is a certainty to the fight, since we know there is a certainty to the fact that Satan has a strategy to attack us, here's our strategy. Strategy number one, you better choose some dudes who you will do life with, who you, who you know when the going gets tough, they're willing to draw a sword. Do we understand what I'm talking about? They're willing to fight shoulder to shoulder with you. They're willing to go ahead of you when you are tired. They're willing to defend your back from an attack by Satan. So thought number one, choose some dudes to go to battle with. Thought leads to a question. Who are your dudes? Who are your dudes? Let me tell you what, guys, there's some dudes in this room. There's some dudes in this church. They'll fight for you. They'll fight with you. Are you willing to let them? Are you willing to let them come beside you? And when you're attacked, let them know what's going on. Let them take you through to victory. So thought number one, choose some dudes. Strategy number one in, in, in defending against our flesh Satan or this world is choose some dudes. Here's thought number two. You need God's power. You need God's power in His Word, in His staff, in His leader, and you need to have a spiritual leader in your life. Notice what it says. Here's Moses saying in verse 9, he says, Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. What is he saying? Man, Moses was a spiritual leader in this case. This is the first time we hear Joshua. You read Joshua? We have no idea what, if, you're, if all you're doing is reading God's Word right now, we have no idea what Joshua is going to become. We know what Joshua becomes. He's the one that eventually takes over for the children of Israel. By, right here, right here, it could have been Aaron who took over. It could have been her who took over. It could be a bunch of other people that took, her, took over. But here's what we know. Joshua is beginning to be the man that God wants him to be. And as you think about it, he needed a spiritual leader. And so, guys, we not only need some dudes that will fight with us, we need some spiritual leaders who will go before us and give us some direction. Man, I pray when you think about some of the teaching that we have going on at this church between me and Justin and Sloan and Justin and Dave, man, let me tell you what, I can't be the only spiritual leader in this church. You need some of these guys on the staff who are spiritual leaders for you. When they open up God's Word and they teach you God's Word, that they are leading you. And you also know that these dudes are going up on the mountain for you day by day. And we are raising a staff. We are encouraging you along the way. And let me tell you what, there are times we get tired. How many of you know? There are times your pastor gets tired. There are times 
Justin gets tired. You've seen him lag behind every once in a while moving the verses. He gets worn out over there. Sloan gets tired. Dave, do you ever get tired? That's your super Dave. See, sometimes we get tired, guys. Man, we need some of our staff, some of our deacons to come along, prop us up. As I get older and older, I need some propping up a little more. Man, sometimes our, our arms get tired. Man, think about that, holding up a staff. How long does it take you to get tired if you're doing that? Doesn't take long, does it? And I will tell you, there are times when we consider uh, some of the weights of the world, some of the difficulties, some of the hardships, some of the requests that are made for us. Man, we get tired. There are times we're ready to sit down. But you need a spiritual leader who's on the mountain for you, who's praying for you, who's cheering God's power and God's grace and God's love in your life, who's cheering you on for victory. But I want you to know, you can't just have a spiritual leader without dudes in the battle. And you can't just have dudes in the battle without spiritual leaders. So guys, I want to encourage you. Get locked into a church. Get locked into a place that teaches God's Word. And, 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 if, and if Cottonwood Creek is not your place, go find another one. The last thing I want, I will tell you as your pastor, I would love to have you all right here, connected here. But I'll tell you the worst thing for you is to not choose here and then choose nowhere. Every man needs a spiritual leader in their life. And maybe you've been in a church in the past where the pastor did this or some deacon did that or somebody else did this and you just kind of burned out on church. Let me tell you, I want to encourage you for your own life, get over that. And go find a spiritual leader in your life that when you're out in the battle, you know they're on the mountain for you. They're praying for your success. They're praying God's grace in your life. You need God's power and God's perspective. I love this. It says, Moses said, I'm going to go stand on the mountain. What is he saying? Man, I want to be able to see it all. I want to pray for it all. Then he says, man, I want, I'm going to be up on top of the hill. That's the best way to look. And then he goes, I'm going to have the rod of God in my hand. I'm going to have the word of God in my hand. I'm going to be praying God's word over you. So that's the thought number one. It is this, we need the right dudes in the battle. Here's another thing we see right here. Um, you need guys cheering you on. You need those guys in the battle. Those guys up on the mountain, Aaron and her. And Moses, I guarantee you, if you put me and Justin and Justin or me and Justin and Sloan or Dave Sloan and Justin up on the mountain and one of them were holding it up, they're also cheering for you. Every once in a while you'll hear a faint, faint cry, boy, Joshua. Man, that's what you want. That You want them cheering for you. And then uh, as you just continue reading, look at verse 11. Um, you need them to recognize the signs of victory and defeat. It says, verse 11, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever they lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. What do you mean? The guys on the mountain were spiritual enough to recognize the connection. Moses, get that staff back up. Because that's when God is leading us to victory. And you want guys that are, have enough discernment in your life, perhaps more discernment than you have, to make connections. Because sometimes we can't always make the connection that, okay, when I do this, this happens. When I say this, this happens. When I, when I say this or do this, my wife responds this way. And you need some guys that are spiritual enough to make the connections. These guys made the connection. 
They had been through the journey long enough. They had enough discernment in their life that said, you know what, we don't know what it is about it, but when your staff is up, the men fighting the battle are winning. Therefore, let's do everything to keep the staff up. Now, here's an interesting thought, guys. If you didn't know that, none of those guys on the mountain were perfect. How many of you know this? Moses, when God showed up to him at the burning bush, he really didn't want to go. Remember that? He said, God, choose anybody else. Moses committed some sin. If you just read a couple more chapters in Exodus, Moses is about to commit a lot of sins. If you didn't know this, guys, Moses commits enough sin that God doesn't let him go into the promised land. Do you know that? You say, okay, what about the other dudes? They're probably perfect and spiritual. How many of you know Aaron's story? He's the high priest of the children of Israel. Go look at Exodus chapter 32 when Moses goes up on the mountain. Who was it that fashioned the golden calf for the children of Israel? It was this dude. Her, we don't know a lot about her, but here's what we do know about her. When Moses went on the mountain, to get the commandments from God, Moses left two people in charge, Aaron and Hur. So if Aaron fashioned it, Hur may have drawn the plans to fashion the golden calf. So you're not talking about three dudes that are on the mountain that have a perfect past or a perfect future. So guys, here's the encouragement for you. Don't ever, ever think a dude has to be perfect to be your spiritual leader. Don't ever, ever think or expect that some of us are never going to drop the ball. That we're not going to show up and all of a sudden respond to you in anger or short temper or something like that. It's going to happen. Catch us all at the right time. Mostly Frazier, right? But don't expect perfection. And the encouragement also is this. Moses didn't get into the promised land. Was he a good leader? Absolutely. So if you're sitting here worried about what some pastor did at your previous church 30 years ago, get over that, guys. God still probably used him in your life more than you thought. Do you understand that? And maybe some deacons in your life more than you thought. So here's the next thought. Notice, man, you need support. Then finally, jump down to this. and Look at verse 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Look at verse 15. Moses built an altar and called it a Lord is my banner. I think it's kind of interesting that Moses, after they won the victory, and remember the victory it says right in here was won by Joshua with the sword. It says Moses, the spiritual leader, 
is supposed to write down on a scroll the lessons from the battle for Joshua. See, sometimes it takes someone else to remind you of how you won the last battle. And he says, write them down. Notice those words. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure Joshua hears it. So it's written down on a scroll. Fast forward to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Your leader Moses is dead. But do not fear. Just as I gave Moses victory, I'll give you victory. And wherever you go, you will have success. As long as what? You hear God's word and heed God's word along the way. So guys, you need men to fight with you in the battle. You need spiritual leaders to be on your mountaintop. And don't expect perfection on When you win a victory, sometimes you need help writing down the lessons from the battlefield because you might need those lessons in the days ahead. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these guys. God, as we head out into a world that is filled with the battle, we certainly know that today, before the sun goes down, I will have to battle my flesh. God, let us do it with other men, other people, spiritual leaders on my side. And when I win the victory today, let me learn the lessons and write them down so I can have success the next day. God, before I, the sun goes down tonight, Satan is going to look for a weak moment in my life to take me out. God, when I stand firm and stand strong with other dudes and other people praying on the mountain for me, let me write down and learn the lessons from the battlefield so I can win the next battle. God, before the sun goes down, the world, the patterns of this world are going to encourage me somehow, some way to compromise who you want me to be, God. And God, with other men around me and other men praying for me, let me learn the lessons and write the lessons of the battle down so that I can win again the next day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. You all have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.